Well, howdy, and welcome to another edition of Railfan Roberts Reading Railroad. <laughs> Chapter 11, Cliff Watchers. Frank! Joe exclaimed. I think you've hit it. That man had no reason to act the way he did unless he's covering up something. Something like smuggling, you mean, said Chet. He must be Snap Man or one of his gang. And, Frank went on, the fact he was in that cove must mean he has some connection with the house on the cliff. Snapman, king of the smugglers, Tony whistled. You guys really get into some interesting situations. I'll bet he's one of the fellows who chased Jones the day in that motorboat, Joe cried. Ian tried to kill him, Frank continued the thought. Let's get away from here, Chet urged. Why should we go now, Frank demanded. We've stumbled on something important. That hidden pond may be the smuggler's base. But if they use the house, how do they get to it, Tony asked. Those cliffs up from the pond were mighty steep. There must be some other way that we couldn't see, Joe said. And what say we hang around here for a while and find out what we can? Tony caught the Hardy's enthusiasm and agreed to keep the motorboat in the vicinity of the cliff. That fellow may be keeping his eye on us and we don't want him to know we're watching the place, Frank observed. Let's run back to the bay and cruise up and down a while, then return. Chet sighed. I'm glad none of you argued with that armed man. Right, Joe replied. As it is, he must think we were simply out for a cruise and wandered into that tunnel by mistake. Yes, his brother agreed. If he'd known we were hunting for Dad, he may have acted very differently. In the late afternoon, Tony took the Napoli back to the suspected shore spot. Keeping well out from the breaking waves, he cruised along the cliff. The boys kept a sharp eye on the location of the tunnel. As the boat passed it, they were just able to distinguish the narrow opening in the rocks. I won't be able to go in there after a while, Tony remarked. The tide's coming in. At high tide, I bet that tunnel is filled with water. Suddenly, Tony swung his craft so hard to the right that the other boys lost their balance. Sorry, fellows, saw a lot. Oh! He shut off his engine in a flash and leaned over the gunwale. His companions picked themselves up and asked what happened. Propeller started to foul up with some wire on that log, Tony began to peel off his clothes. Get me some pliers, will you? Frank opened a locker and found a pair. Taking them, Tony dived overboard. A minute later, he reappeared and climbed in. I'm lucky, he said, just plain lucky. 
Two seconds more and all that wire would have been wound around the propeller and the log would have knocked it off. Good night, Chet exclaimed. It would have been a long swim home. Joe slapped Tony on the back. Good work, boy. I'd hate to see the Napoli out of commission. Chet and Frank hauled the log aboard so it would not damage any other craft. Hey, this is a fence post with barbed wire, Chet said. Wowie! It's good you spotted that log, Tony. Tony Dress started the engine. He cruised around for more than an hour, but the boys saw no sign of life about the base of the cliff. They could see the pilot house, but to their amazement, no lights appeared in it as twilight came. How much longer do you think we should stay out here? Chet asked. I'm getting hungry. I have a few pretzels and a candy bar, but that's not much for four of us, Joe remarked. Aha, crowed Tony. I have a surprise for you. I stowed away a little food before we took off. With that, he pulled a paper bag from the locker and passed each boy a large sandwich, a piece of chocolate cake, and a bottle of lemon soda. You deserve a medal. Chet remarked as he bit into a layer of ham and cheese. You sure do, Frank agreed. I think we should stay right here for a while and watch. It's my guess the smugglers will be on the job tonight. Don't forget the Marco Polo is docking tomorrow morning. I get it, said Chet. If she lays offshore or Steams in slowly, it'll give Ali Cigna a chance to drop the stolen drugs overboard to Snapman. Correct, said Frank. Tony looked intently at the Hardys. Is it your idea to keep Snapman from meeting Ali Cigna? But what about your father? I thought we came out here to get a line on how to rescue him. The brothers exchanged glances. Then Joe said, of course that's our main purpose, but we hope that we can do both. Twilight deepened into darkness and lights could be seen here and there, or through the haze. The cliff was only a black smudge and the house above was still unlighted. Suddenly the boys heard a muffled sound. Tony slowed the Napoli and they listened intently. Another motorboat, Tony whispered. The sound seemed to come from near the cliff. Strain their eyes in that direction before we're able at last to distinguish a faint moving light. Can you head over that way, Tony? Frank asked in a low voice. Could you take a chance on turning off our lights? Sure, here goes. The wind's blowing from the land so our engine won't be heard from the shore. The boys were tense with excitement as the Napoli moved slowly toward the light. As the boat crept near the cliff, they could barely distinguish the outline of a motorboat. The craft seemed to be making its way carefully out of the very face of the cliff. It must have come from that tunnel, Joe whispered to Frank. Yes. The Napoli went closer, in imminent danger of being discovered or of being washed ashore or onto the rocks. 
Finally, the other boat slowed to a crawl. Then came the frank clatter of oars and low voices. The motorboat had evidently met a rowboat. The next moment, with an abrupt roar, the motorboat turned and raced out to sea at an ever-increasing rate of speed. Where can it be going, said Tony in amazement, out to meet the Marco Polo? Probably, Frank replied, and we'll never catch it. I wonder where the rowboat's going. The four boys waited in silence for several minutes. Then the rattle of oars came again. This time the sound was closer. The rowboat was coming toward them. What do we do now? Tony asked. Turn off your engine, Frank whispered. Tony complied. Through the gloom suddenly came snatches of conversation from the rowboat. A hundred pounds, they heard a man say harshly, and the rest of the sentence was lost. There was a lengthy murmur of voices, then, I don't know, it's risky. The wind died down just then, and two voices could be heard distinctly. Allie Sickness share, one man was saying. That's right, we can't forget him, the gruff voice replied. I hope they get away all right. What are you worrying about? Of course they'll get away. We've been spotted, you know. It's out of your imagination. Nobody suspects those boys at the... Just dumb kids. They come nosing around again, we'll knock them on the head. I don't like this rough stuff. It's dangerous. We've got to do it or we'll end up in the pen. What's the matter with you tonight? You nervous? I'm worried. I got a hunch we better clear out of here. Clear out, replied the other contemptuously. Are you crazy? Why, this place is as safe as a church, the man laughed sardonically. Haven't we got all the squealers locked up? And tonight we make the big clean up and get away. Well, maybe you're right, said the first man doubtfully, but still. His voice died away as the boat entered the tunnel. Joe grabbed Frank's arm. Did you hear that? All the squealers locked up. I bet Dad's one of them, and he's prisoner somewhere around here. And this is the hideout of Snapman and the other smugglers. Hers he was after, Frank added. I don't like this, Chet spoke up. Let's leave here and get the police. Frank shook his head. It would take so long we might goof the whole thing. Tell you what, Joe and I will follow that rowboat through the tunnel. How? On foot or swim? I don't think it's deep along the edges. You mean Chet and I will wait here, Tony asked? No, Frank answered. You two beat it back to Bayport and notify the Coast Guard. Tell them we're on the track of smugglers and ask them to send some men out here. And tell them our suspicions about Ali Cigna and the Marco Polo, Joe added. They can radio the captain to keep an eye on him. Okay, said Tony. I'll do that. First, I'll put you ashore. Don't go too close or you'll hit those rocks and wreck the boat, Frank warned. Joe and I can swim to shore. Then we'll work around into the tunnel and see what we can find. If we do discover anything... We'll wait at the entrance and show the men from the Coast Guard where to go when they get here. 
Tony edged the boat in as close to the dark shore as he dared without lights. Quickly, Frank and Joe took off their slacks, T-shirts, sweaters, and sneakers. They, they rolled them up, and with twain, which Tony provided, tied the bundles on top of their heads. Then they slipped over the side of the water. The Napoli sped off. Frank and Joe were only a few yards from the rocks, and after a short swim, emerged on the main lane. Well, here it goes, Joe whispered, heading for the tunnel. Chapter 12, The Secret Passage Cautiously, Frank and Joe made their way across the slippery rocks. Suddenly, there was a loud splash as Joe lost his footing. Are you all right? Frank whispered as he came up to where his brother was standing in the shallow water at the edge of the cliff. Yeah, for a moment I sure thought I sprained my ankle, Joe replied tensely. It seems to be okay now. Give me your hand, Frank whispered, and quickly pulled Joe back onto the rocks. The Hardys had landed at a point some 25 yards from the tunnel opening, but the climb over the treacherous rocks was so difficult that the distance seemed much longer. It was very dark in the shadow of the steep cliff. The waves breaking against the rocks had a lonely and foreboding sound. Good night, Joe muttered. Aren't we ever coming to that tunnel? Take it easy, Frank advised. It can't be much further. I hope Tony and Chet will hurry back with help, Joe said. This is a ticklish job. If anyone's on guard here, we'll certainly be at a disadvantage, Frank remarked in a barely audible tone. Watch out. By this time, they had reached the entrance to the tunnel. After a few cautious steps, they discovered that the narrow piece of land between the water and the base of the cliff was covered by a thick growth of bushes. Frank turned to Joe. If we try to walk through all that stuff, he whispered, we're sure to be heard. That is, if those men are in here someplace. Joe grunted in agreement. What shall we do? Tentatively, Frank put one foot into the water from the rock on which he was standing. It isn't deep, he said. I guess we can wade through. The boys hugged the wall and started off. Fortunately, the water came only to their knees because there was a shelf of rocks all along the way. The brothers' hearts beat wildly. What would they find ahead of them? The boys had not heard a sound since entering the tunnel. It appeared that the men in the rowboat had gone on to some secret hiding place. I think I'll risk my flashlight, Frank said in a low voice as they reached the pond. We can't find out anything without it. He pulled one he always carried from its waterproof case and snapped it on. The yellow beam shone over the pond. There was no sign of the rowboat. How do you think those men got out of here, Joe asked. Do you suppose there's another opening? Frank turned the flashlight onto the steep side surrounding the water. I don't see any. My guess is those men hit the boat someplace. Let's make a thorough search. 
Slowly, the brothers began to walk around the edge of the pond, brushing aside the heavy growth and peering among the bushes. They had about given up in despair as they reached the section by the far wall of the tunnel. Then, as Frank beamed the flashlight over the thicket, he exclaimed hoarsely, Look! A door, Joe whispered tensely. The door had been so cleverly concealed that it would not have been seen in full daylight except at close quarters. The glare of the flashlight, however, brought the artificial screen of branches and leaves into sharp relief against the dark cliffside. This explains it, Joe said. The man in the boat went through here. I wonder where it goes. In order to avoid detection, Frank extinguished his light before trying to open the door. He swung it open inch by inch, half expecting to find lights and people beyond. But there was only darkness. Luckily, the door made no noise. Frank turned on his light again. Ahead was a watery passage some 10 feet wide and 25 feet long, with a ledge running along one side. At the end was a tiny wharf with a rowboat tied to a post. This is fantastic, Joe whispered, and it must have been here a long time. Do you suppose it's connected with the pilot place? If it is, it could mean old Mr. Pilot was mixed up with the smugglers, Frank answered. Hey, do you suppose Snapman is his nephew? Excited over this possible new angle to the case, Frank and Joe stepped onto the ledge. They dressed, then quietly inched forward. Reaching the wharf, they looked about them as Frank beamed his light onto the walls. Hold it, Joe whispered. Directly ahead was a crude arch in the rock. Beyond it, the boys could see a steep flight of stone steps. Their hearts pounded with excitement. We found it, Frank whispered. This must be the secret passageway. Yes, Joe agreed, and from the distance we've come, I figure we're right underneath the house on the cliff. Let's go up. The light cast strange shadows in the passage through the rocks. Water dripped from the walls. The boys tiptoed forward and stealthily began to the ascent. As they came, crept up the stairs, Frank flashed the light ahead of them. Shortly, they could see that the steps ended at a heavy door. Its framework was set into the wall of rock. Above them was only a rock ceiling. When Frank and Joe reached the door, they hesitated. Both were thinking, if we go through that door and find the gang of smugglers, we'll never get out. But on the other hand, we must find Dad. Frank stepped forward pressed his ear against the door, and listened intently. There was not a sound beyond. He turned off his light and looked carefully around the sides of the door to see if he could catch a glimmer of any illumination from the other side. There was only darkness. I guess there's no one inside, he said to Joe. Let's see if we can open it. Frank felt for the latch. The door did not move. It must be locked, he whispered. Try it again. Maybe it's just stuck. Frank put his hand on the latch, this time also pushing the door with his shoulder. 
Suddenly, with a noise which echoed from wall to wall, the latch snapped and the door swung open. Joe stepped forward, but Frank put out a restrained hand. Wait, he cautioned. That noise may bring someone. Tensely, they stood alert for the slightest sound, but none came. Hopeful that there was no one in the area beyond, Frank switched on the flashlight. The vivid beam cut the darkness and revealed a gloomy cave hewn out of the rock in the very center of the cliff. The boys wondered if it had been a natural cave. It was filled with boxes, bales, and packages distributed about the floor and piled against the wall. Smuggled goods, Frank and Joe thought. The fact that the majority of the boxes bore labels of foreign countries seemed to verify their suspicions. Convinced that the cave was unoccupied, the boy stepped through the doorway and looked about for another door or opening. They saw none. Was this the end of the trail? But it couldn't be, the young sleuth thought. Those men went someplace. Bolts of beautiful silk had been tossed on top opposite of the bales. Valuable tapestries were also lying carelessly about. In one corner, four boxes were piled on top of one another, and Frank accidentally knocked the flashlight against one of these, and it gave forth a howl of scent. It's empty, he whispered. An idea struck him that perhaps these boxes had been piled up to conceal some passage leading out of the secret storeroom. He mentioned his suspicion to Joe. But how could the men pile the boxes up there after they went out, his brother questioned. This gang is smart enough for anything. Let's move these boxes away and maybe we'll find out. Frank seized the topmost box. It was very light and he removed it from the pile without difficulty. I thought so, Frank said with satisfaction. The flashlight revealed the top of a door which had been hidden from view. The boys lost no time in moving the other three boxes. Then Frank and Joe discovered how it was possible for the boxes to be piled up in such a position, in spite of the fact the smugglers had left the cave and closed the door behind them. Attached to the bottom of the door was a thin wooden platform that projected out over the floor of the cave, and on this the boxes had been piled. Very clever, Joe remarked. Whenever anyone leaves the cave and closes the door, the boxes swing in with the platform, and it looks as though they were piled up on the floor. Right. Well, let's see where the door leads, Frank proposed. He snapped off his light, and with utmost caution opened the door. It made no sound. Again, there was darkness ahead. What a maze, Frank whispered as he turned on his flash and beamed the light ahead. Another stone-lined passage with a flight of steps at the end. Suddenly, Frank stiffened and laid a warning hand on his brother's arm. Voices, he said in a low tone and snapped off his light. The boys listened intently. They could hear a man's voice in the distance. Neither could distinguish what he was saying, for he was still too far away. Gradually, the tones grew louder. Then, to the brothers' alarm, they heard footsteps. 
Hastily, they retreated into the secret cave. Quick, the door, Frank urged. They closed it quietly. Now the boxes. If those men come in here, they'll notice the boxes have been moved. He turned on the light, but shielded it with his hand. Swiftly, Joe piled the empty boxes back onto the platform that projected from the bottom of the door. He worked as silently as quickly as possible, but could hear the footsteps drawing closer and closer. Finally, the topmost box was in place. Out the other door, Frank hissed into Joe's ear. They sped across the floor of the cave toward the door opening onto the stairs they had recently ascended. But hardly had they reached it before they heard a rattle at the latch of the door on the opposite side of the cave. We haven't time, Frank whispered. Hide. The beam of light revealed a number of boxes close to the door. On top of these, someone had thrown a heavy bolt of silk, the folds of which hung down to the floor. The brothers scrambled swiftly behind the boxes, pressing themselves close against the wall. They had just enough time to hide and switch out Frank's light before they heard the other door open. There's a bunch of drugs in that shipment that came in three weeks ago, they heard a husky voice say. We'll take it upstairs. Frank says he can get rid of it for us right away. No use leaving it down here. Gotta make room for that new shipment. Right, the hearties heard someone else reply. Anything else to go up? No. I'll switch on the light. There was a click, and suddenly the cave was flooded with light. It had been wired for electricity. Frank and Joe crouched in their hiding place, holding their breaths in terror. Would they be discovered? Footsteps slowly approached the boxes behind which they were concealed. This episode may be reproduced without my personal permission. Railfan Roberts Reading Railroad is a production of Raccoon Gaming Rails Railroad Productions. And all, all podcast episodes are owned by Raccoon Gaming Rails Railroad Productions.